Cinema Spectator, a movie podcast, is produced because of listeners like you. If you want to support our show, you can share it, give us a rating on iTunes, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions, where you can throw a couple dollars our way and get access to our exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch classic movies to see how they hold up to a modern viewer, which makes no sense for this episode because we (laughs) are reviewing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, starring Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell. I am joined, of course, with our resident expert, Juzo Greenwood. Juzo, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, Isaac. Uh, probably better than last week. I've had a nice, uh, we had a nice week long trip to New York City, my dad and I, and um, I sure saw a lot of movies over there in New York. I just was going. I went to a movie every day, just going, and not just like that, but you know, it's it's such a great city because you can get everywhere in 20 minutes. So I could see a movie, and it doesn't take up all my day, and I still had time to, you know, visit with my friend Nancy and my uncle Evan. Uh, my friend Nevin, who lives there also, and uh, just had a absolutely wonderful time. I'm not sure if you want me to run through all the movies, but uh, how have you been doing, uh, Isaac? Yeah, um, it's been interesting. You said uh, you haven't been on the show since last week. Well, we didn't have an episode last week. Oh, yeah, right, right. It was two, two weeks, weeks ago, ago right? Yeah. Um, but how? Uh, so in New York, I do want to hear about the movies you watched. Um, and also, were there any theaters that you were excited to go to in New York? I've never been. I don't. Oh, I don't man. know why there's like a tie to um, cinema in New York. Probably the Scorsese thing. I don't know. It's just an iconic city, and I've always wanted to go. So I want. Oh, yeah, I, I, I would highly experience. recommend it. I mean, it's such a. It's it's a cool city. Just just you walk around for an hour. It's as interesting and exciting, and its city feels alive. You know, in in a way that when I walk around Berkeley and all these. The, not just movie theaters, but just the, the place itself is changing and kind of dying in a lot of ways. And New York is changing and it's very modern in some places, but there's always that history and there's always those buildings that look like they've been there for 300 years. And um, it feels like there's a real connection. And uh, yeah, in terms of movie theaters, it's, uh, I mean, it, it makes me pretty sad about the state of things here, let alone in most places where a lot of cities maybe have one movie theater or none um in new york from a we were in staying in downtown brooklyn i could get to i don't know 10 12 15 theaters in you know in a 20 minute radius um i didn't even bother to look into the amcs or uh regal or any of the mainstream chains because just the the theaters they have the independent theaters uh, i went to the ifc center um uh, cinema village uh, the Angelica, all these places that kind of do what the Shattuck Cinema used to do, which is not show the bigger movies, but show these kind of movies that um, maybe wouldn't get as much attention. And movies that now in the Bay Area don't even play in theaters. That was kind of my priority. It was trying to see stuff that I wouldn't get to see here. Um, do you want me to run down the movies right now, or did you want to talk about anything first? Yeah, uh, last question about the theaters. How was the attendance in New York? Uh, excellent and it's oh. interesting it's also like young people too that's what's very mm. different here i was always me and a and uh you know uh, an audience of seniors um in new york it's like 
other than I think one screening where we were the only ones and except for one old lady actually at Lincoln Center, um, the other, f- I think I saw five, was it five other movies were completely, um, not if, if not completely packed and like pretty decent audiences. Um, a lot of them were in kind of smaller theaters, so maybe it was only like 20 or 30 people. But still, there's a sense that people are interested in movies and that young people are interested in going to the movies. And like, why wouldn't you when it's so convenient you know i i have to spend an hour commute to get to almost any theater over here but when it's like so easy um it it certainly makes sense so it's it it was it was really cool um so let let me just run down what i saw so the first night we saw a documentary called anselm which is a 3d documentary about anselm kiefer who is a german painter sculptor artist who makes these massive paintings sometimes in warehouses that are like the size of airplane hangers or maybe they were former airplane hangers and he creates these giant tapestries where he's taking a flamethrower to canvas or he melts uh, lead uh, and then he pours it onto the canvas just crazy stuff and it looked amazing in 3d this is a film by one of my favorite filmmakers uh, Vim Vendors who I think I'm sure at some point we'll do an, a, a month on because a very important director um, and a wonderful, wonderful filmmaker. So this is, it was a pretty quiet movie, a pretty, um, maybe even slow. We also had a funny experience where they showed it without subtitles for about 30 minutes and it's a German movie. And then they came and they stopped the movie and they restarted it with the proper uh, masking. So no, geez. it was a little bit of an awkward experience, but no, nonetheless uh, was, was a really beautiful movie. And um, I went with my dad and my uncle and they, I think they enjoyed it a lot. Um, I saw a film called The Sweet East, which is kind of a episodic adventure where this young woman is in, in modern times is going through basically like a series of communities, like first a group of uh, um, <laughs> what was the word for it? Uh, 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 basically rich anarchists, I guess, or or um I'm forgetting the word for it, but like these, like these kids who are like anarchists, but they come from like wealthy families right. and then, and they're going to like a protest to protest against a bunch of neo-Nazis. And then she just basically wanders over and starts hanging out with the neo-Nazis. And then she just starts living with one of these guys. And that was the part of the movie I just thought was so amazing. Cause it was this actor named Simon Rex. And uh, he was just absolutely incredible in the movie. And I thought once he left the movie, the movie deflated a little bit, but still was quite funny. And, um, just a, just a very unique sort of movie. It reminded me a lot of Bo is Afraid. I can't remember if you... Did you see Bo is Afraid? No, no, I did not. It reminded me... It wasn't quite that insane, but like a similar kind of a picaresque, uh, episodic, vaguely surreal adventure uh, with kind of a passive main character. Um, not as good as that movie, but it was it was fun. And then the the writer of the movie and some of the crew were on hand for a, a Q&A there. So that, that was fun. Um, I saw a movie called Monster, which is by another one of my favorite directors, Hirokazu Koreeda, who, speaking of Ozu, is um, probably a, a, a big... Uh, Ozu is a big influence on him. And this film kind of had a bit of a... had kind of a Rashomon-esque structure where it was like kind of three points of view on the mm. same story of this kid who like is potentially being abused by his teacher at school and his mother is trying to deal with it. And in that, that Japanese way that Ozu has it, it you know this movie is also the emotions play kind of really under the surface for a while and then kind of 
uh, snap to the fore in a very intense way. And um, I'm still mulling this movie over. If to- if it, I think it totally works, but I, I really liked it. I made, it made me want to see it again and, and uh, sort of see how it works once you know how everything really is is playing out. But that that was, I thought, quite a good film. Um, I saw The Zone of Interest, which is uh, Oscar-nominated. I guess you technically call it a Holocaust drama, but it almost feels like a museum piece or something like that. It's like a a film that portrays the Nazi commandant of Auschwitz, but in this way that's very modern, almost the way he almost films it the way reality TV is filmed, where it's hidden cameras hmm. in, in a space and the actors are kind of allowed to go wherever in this, this um, compound that is built um, on the side, basically was on the side of, you know, just over the wall from Auschwitz. So through the whole movie, you're hearing very faint screams and gunshots and it's really sort of horrifying sound mix that implies but never shows what's going on and um i went into this movie thinking it was kind of like this would be like art house bs that would just annoy me but i have to say that i i was not it's not the most thrilling movie to watch but in a way it's like it touches something and it and it creates images that stay with you and sort of haunt you and even while it doesn't it's not the most developed in in terms of characters and like the things i normally want in movies I think it's um, it's a piece of film mer- making worth I think reckoning with, um, just for the sort of off off um, unconventional way he he portrays uh, you know a subject that's been portrayed many times like the Holocaust in, in cinema. Um, so I don't know. I, I I'd be curious what you think of it. I don't think it's a movie you'd enjoy, but it's sort of an interesting interesting piece. I got to be honest, Juzo, most of the movies you've talked about just now are things that I'm like, I'd like to avoid fully. <laughs> <laughs> that does not sound enjoyable for me. But I think it's kind of crazy that, um, I mean, we live on the West Coast and you would think that there'd be more of a reverence for like, you know, the Hollywood scene and everything like that. Um, I'm just surprised that you're finding these interesting movies in theaters that are well attended um i don't know it it just got me thinking about like uh all those videos about how much rent costs in new york and stuff like that and just because of your in-depth knowledge and and love for this niche you know i like can you start to understand with new york like sort of the the price of people wanting to be there like do you kind of understand the energy and whatnot I mean, sure. I mean, I would, uh, yeah. If it was, uh, if money was of no issue, if money and the fact that like all my friends and family are over here, I would, I would definitely prefer to live there than, especially as a non-driving person. <laughs> it's right, like totally, right. uh, I can see the appeal. And yeah, I think these movies, these are interesting because they're kind of these are all. I think all the ones I've listed are very much outside of like mainstream studio. These are movies made by. Um, either international directors or independent filmmakers. Um, I don't know if any of these would really be your cup of tea. I actually think you would probably like the Japanese movie, mm-hmm. uh, Monster, more than you'd think. I think Koreeda is a little bit less um, sparse in his filmmaking than Ozu is. Like, I think you he would appeal to you a little bit more. But um, no, it's not. these are not like, you know, Ryan Gosling and his, you know, scorpion jacket or anything like that. right, right. Not, not that kind of vibe um and then really quickly there are two more these are actually i think the two best movies i saw 
in New York. One was um, a Brazilian film my dad and I saw called Pictures of Ghosts, which was kind of a documentary memoir by the filmmaker about his hometown um, in in Brazil and his sort of, um, he uses archival footage and footage he shot from his movies in this town of his apartment and all the movie theaters that used to be there in his hometown. And it kind of becomes this, um, this portrait and kind of um, remembrance of all these places and people who have um, sort of um, fallen to history, I guess. And it became, it was just a very poignant movie also just for me, because it, even though it was in this, you know, this older guy in Brazil, it's like he he's talking about things that could have been happening in Berkeley right now in terms of money moving other places, movie theaters uh, closing down, culture kind of falling by the wayside, um, and not, you know, and just sort of the march of time as people pass away or move to other places. Um, it was just I thought a really beautiful movie, one that I kind of it wasn't like purely entertaining in like the typical way. And it, and it sort of had a delayed fuse for me. Like I walked out, I was like, that was pretty good. And then I was like on the subway hours later, listening to some of the music from the movie. And I was like, am I getting like, I'm almost getting choked up thinking about this movie and like sort of understanding some of the emotions he was getting at. So uh, that's pictures of ghosts. That's definitely maybe the best one I saw. And then the other really I thought very good movie I saw was a movie called Some, Sometimes I Think About Dying, which actually stars Daisy Ridley, who's you know best known for Star Wars, uh, mm. the new Star Wars movies. Um, a very, very quiet drama. Again, a little bit Ozu-esque, I have to say. Like it definitely, the way it was shot reminded me a little bit of those movies. And I think his influence is pr- quite clear on, on movies even today. The um, Ozu spore has been planted where we're oh, slow, yeah. our, our minds are slowly beginning to identify his rippling influence. And so, oh, yeah. No, it's Cameron. Cameron did a he, he, he did a number on us and we're just we're seeing Ozu everywhere we look. Um, but th- yeah, this I, it was a movie about this very shy office worker played by Daisy Ridley and just this very, very small movie about her day to day work in the office and her sort of. Um, shirking connection from other people as this very kind of introverted person and then making a connection with this new employee there. Um, I think in some ways you could say it's maybe like a little bit of a... In other hands, it could have been like too cute or too romantic or too kind of cliche. But I thought the way this filmmaker, um, Rachel Lambert, rendered it was... I felt just very real and very uh, well-observed. And I thought Daisy Ridley was absolutely like phenomenal in the movie. Um, so that was a, a quite a lovely movie to close out uh, my trip. So, all right, sorry for going so long, but that's my uh, that's my rundown of the New York uh, movies. I also saw some great museums. We saw the Spike Lee exhibit. We saw a museum of the moving image in in Queens, which is all about film history, uh, which is just amazing. It was it was really cool. We packed a lot of stuff in there uh, that trip, and uh, I got to get to that city. You got to ex- go. I, oh I expect God. nothing less, Juzo. From when I asked what you've been watching, you know, my list is not that long. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, truthfully, I don't think I've watched anything and I'll explain why outside of a, uh, Amazon prime show called Mr. And Mrs. Smith. It's not the movie. It's a TV right. show, um, with, uh, Donald Glover and, um, I think it's produced by the two leads of the show. Uh, actually it might be yeah yeah Myers um and 
Donald Glover. Yeah. Yes. I think the show is awesome. Juliana and I are watching it together. It is really well put together. Um, it is, it's not like anything profound, but it's so much fun. And to watch this next to Mission Impossible only makes me realize how much I love the show. Hmm. A lot of great um, guest cameos from actors. I just finished an episode, I think like four or five, Ron Perlman's in it as this uh, nice. grumpy old baby man child that is suicidal or something like it's it's pretty it's pretty good um so i highly recommend the show it's a lot of fun basically it's like they set up this lore where people can kind of um sign up to be arranged with someone to be like spies right um but you basically have to abandon all of your past life you are legally married to this person out of the blue. Um, and the two leads, obviously when they first, you know, move into the house together, they're like, okay, like let's set some rules. Like we're not really interested in each other, you know? Um, so there's a lot of cute writing. I just felt like the, the show has been surprisingly engaging. I don't like TV very much. And so for me, it's two thumbs up. I, I, I've been surprised how well it's been put together. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about it, so I'm, it's it's heartening to hear you that you liked it so much. I may have yeah, to yeah. Look at I it. had a few friends tell me about it, and so I started watching. And I was like, "Dang, this is actually kind of cinematic and kind of good." So, how is Glover um, as an actor? Is 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 he? I'm not always crazy about him acting wise, but you know, he's kind of channeling his um, his swagger throughout the show. I think. Um, I think he's just he's very convincing in this role. Mm-hmm. And um I think the writing is what's making his acting kind of shine through because they have sort of like couple um tiny arguments and and kind of drama between the couple and mm-hmm. he just does a good job sort of playing this um it, I don't know like he they just they just do a good job with the writing and I think his I think his acting is serviceable. Again, it's a very um James Bond like it's having a lot of fun uh doing the spy show but also stringing stringing along enough like drama to keep you engaged. It sort of has that modern um style of like a show like Stranger Things where you 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 kind of look at it from the outside you're like i, I kind of understand what's going on you know they got the et energy and the science and the government the aliens and that and then you watch it and you're like wait these characters on screen are like electric together you know like there's something mm-hmm. about them where you love watching them act and interact and i think mr and mrs smith has a lot of that chemistry on screen with um honestly everyone that's in front of the camera so um I find I find the show to be really good. Check it out if you're looking for some kind of spy drama TV show. Um, I I've been surprised by it. Now, just a couple uh, housekeeping items. Last week we did not have a episode, and I'll tell you why. Um, I lost power for about three to four days. I think it was around three and a half days. I got power Jeez. back. Uh, yeah. It happened Sunday night. We record Monday night, and it was one of those situations where. Um, after like California coast got hit by the storms and, and Uh, I was just continually told you'll get power in the next four hours. 
and four hours go by and again another four hours and then by day two we were um living at the in-laws house so um yeah it was it was a pretty rough patch and i think by the time we got to thursday i was like cameron we just need to like call off the show Uh, i apologize to the audience for not saying anything um i just felt like i was i was juggling too many things at once (laughs) for the week um so i think yeah uh yeah i apologize for the the inconvenience if you're looking forward to the show that means the world to us uh and cameron's out this week that's why he's not here um we have not replaced him completely with juzo so don't don't worry all of you that love love cameron if you enjoy cinema spectator you can uh give us a rating share the show all that stuff helps our production continue and you can support us on patreon.com slash ecfs productions throw a couple dollars our way get our exclusive uh, episodes and all that but no matter what we just appreciate you being here uh hanging out talking about movies I'm glad to be here with you, Juzo, because when we sit down for a one-on-one episode, it's usually about something unique or weird that you want to show me. You ha- you 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 put on the mad scientist lab coat, just like Cameron, and start concocting things. So the fact that we're sitting down watching Mission Impossible, I mean, I was psyched to watch this film. <laughs> can, I, you, oh, can I? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead and jump in. But I was going to ask you, like, how many times have you seen this movie? Do you want to give some context about? um why you why you wanted to watch it with me um actually i should probably say we we are vamping up for an oscars episode so that's why we're trying to do 2023 movies finally get to explaining <laughs> why we're reviewing this movie but my my uh, my yeah my way to get cameron to see catch up on movies since he's seen so few for his top 10 list that's um, right that's right well i wanted to i wanted to ask you about uh your relationship with this film how many times you've seen it your relationship with mission impossible as a franchise, just being yeah. uh, such a great film. Ex- I mean, again, you've been talking about movies I haven't even heard about. So I'd love to know what, what your thoughts are on Mission Impossible and intro this. And I know that you wanted to ask me a question before we jump. Oh, no, I just wanted to wonder if I could just ba- backtrack really quick. Yeah, to yeah. Just- very quickly blitz through just a few other things I saw not in New York because I was actually a couple one movie in particular I really want to recommend okay and, sure and and another that I just I think you've seen but I want to recommend to other people I saw a movie called Cobweb because Mike and Jay said it was good it was mid it was a horror movie don't worry about that one I saw Flashdance for mixed film class have you seen Flashdance it, I, it's kind of a stupid movie but I enjoyed it a lot watching it this time, and I think it's beautifully made, and the music is awesome, so it's pretty fun. The movie, the new movie that I'd really recommend to you, I almost, I don't know if we should do an episode. It depends how many weeks we're going to talk about new movies. There was a movie last year called Blackberry, that I okay. saw, which is about the uh, creation of the Blackberry and the rise and fall of the company behind it, and it is an excellent movie. It's like a really strong kind of it's not nothing is on the social network level but it feels like there it's in the, it's in that conversation of that kind mm. of movie about you know a company and a, a person or in this case a, a pair of people sort of rise and fall um also interesting to see a movie about a company that fails you know they're that i mean we all know blackberry it didn't really work out for them you know they were they were 50 almost 50 percent of cell phone sales at a certain point and now they're zero percent right um so it's it's a it's a movie and also just a very entertaining movie like it's a movie definitely like for the casual for everyone it's a movie for everyone like i'd highly recommend and then as a uh, to quell the sadness of the super bowl yesterday which i by the way my first super bowl i've watched in over a decade i think 
Wow. And it's pretty stupid, but I, you know, I had a nice time watching it with my mom. It was, it was, it was pretty fun, except for the ending, which was the most devastating thing since, as, as Isaac, I think, said in our text message, West Side Story, um, <laughs> <laughs> it had all the drama and tragedy of, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we watched 12 Angry Men together, which is just oh, an nice. excellent movie. And I think we might talk about it maybe later this year. So I won't, but, but yeah, five star masterpiece, highly would recommend. I can't um, wait to to rewatch. I haven't seen it since high school, so um, I I really need to revisit Twelve Angry Men. Let's touch on the Super Bowl really fast. I know <laughs> yeah, this is going to yeah, age sure. age the podcast. What oh, what? Right. We're thirty minutes into the show. Don't worry, we're going to get to Tom Cruise running. Um, <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, we're from the Bay Area, so the Niners just had one of the most traumatic defeats. Um, I just got to say, the more I, the, the older I get, I did not think I would be getting into the, the drama of football, but it feels, I understand why some fans are like, it's scripted because it just feels so like, like cinematic in its, in its moments. I mean, this, this game went into overtime, you know, you have those final drives. I was at a um, party at the in-laws house and there was so much emotion Literally mm-hmm. everyone in the room was like screaming, even people that didn't even care about football. So yeah. I don't no, know. I was getting caught up in it. I, didn't, I don't care like at all, but just being next to my mom who is like just bellowing at the screen. Yeah. I, you know, you get, you get caught up in it, man. It's, it's pretty exciting. I think probably one of the most successful entertaining Super Bowl shows I've Super Bowl games I've ever watched. I mean, horrible ads this year. I think I thought the ads were just, are they boring. ever good? Like I, I, I just am like, I, you occasionally something st- stuck out as you know, oh that was cute or something, but mostly, I mean, it's mostly terrible. Yeah. I like the one with Arnold. I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was charming, but like yeah. mostly, it's it sucked. And I'll, I didn't really think the halftime show was very good either. Like I just thought Usher was. It was just like fine. It was good enough. Yep. But yeah. Pass. I th- I thought it was passable. good. A passable. Um. I don't think it was like, yeah, I, I don't know. It was just weird that the star of the show was the actual game for me this year. The game this year is what yeah. stood out as like the drama and the excitement, which um, I can't think of the last time the Super Bowl felt like that for me. So, yeah. All better right. Worse, uh, okay, okay. Oh, no, no. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you think Usher was better or worse than Rihanna last year? I thought he was better. Um, oh my god cameron's gonna come for you guys yeah well i i i like rihanna i just felt like um they ever since dr dre did the super bowl they're doing like this avengers thing with artists where they have all these different people people show up and rihanna was just kind of her own thing and i was sort of like confused by rihanna because she didn't drop a new album she didn't like, I didn't really know what I was like, what is this? You know, like, I just I, I don't think I'm the target audience, you know, no, and I like, I like how her. They, it's weird how they pick people because it always feels like a people a little bit like I just feel like Usher. Like, when's the last time anyone's really thought about him? You know, like, I just feels like it's they're picking people. You know, you know when they did J-Lo, it's like wasn't J-Lo like more popular 10, 15 years ago. Right, right. Um, well, I think it's because a lot of the artists that perform don't get paid or are not paid a lot so mm-hmm. i mean when people say like oh taylor swift was gonna play the super bowl i'm like there's literally zero incentive for her to play i mean there's right. no money uh she's already the most famous person in the world i mean what is she really gonna gain from playing at the stage she's literally there as a marketing presence right 
Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think I think the best thing you could do if you're an artist is do the opening singing like Post Malone did. Because <laughs> you're only on there for oh. like 30 yeah. seconds. Everybody sees you right away. You get the screen time you need for free and then you just walk off, right? Yeah. Um, Wait, did Post Malone sing the national anthem? He sang America the Great or something. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't that oh, good cool. either. And I like Post Malone, but um, I... Yeah, I just I think it's interesting because you look at the halftime show and and Usher, it made complete sense for him to be there because if he didn't get paid, people definitely are now streaming his music because mm-hmm. of that show, right? Yeah, and I mean, he, I wouldn't he, have thought of Usher in years. Exactly, he's to. jumped back to relevancy, uh, and of course, he released like an album or a single before going on stage, so that it's mm-hmm. it's kind of that synergy in marketing where he's now. Uh, a presence there he's in an ad and he's playing the show and yeah gets another hundred million streams so um still still one of the best beats that's all i gotta say yeah it's so good um, oh the, the 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 famous song they kept teasing yeah <laughs> the only song i knew yeah yeah that, that is pretty iconic that just that you know whatever somebody is. needs to like sample it i don't know it's probably a sample already um sure. but i'm like that that beat totally needs to come back for some reason but okay yeah i'm All glad right. we're talking about music because we're gonna get into music with uh oh okay yeah um, okay. but but i i threw a bunch of questions to you we've been sidetracking this yes, entire show i'm sorry bro i'm sorry <laughs> I, two weeks two weeks of movies i i have to catch up on reporting yes on. yes so um no, Let's talk uh, about Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've seen this movie four times. I actually didn't rewatch it for the show because I watched it actually with my my late grandma uh, on uh, around New Year's Eve. We had a really fun time watching that, basically with my whole family. And um, I saw it three times in the theater. And uh, we, uh, I mean, I I love the Mission Impossible series. I think um, it's an odd series because it started out kind of. I don't really love the early movies that much. And I'm actually curious. Have you seen like the first couple movies? I've seen the first film. I didn't see the second or the third. And then uh, I think most people got like re-hyped into the series with the fourth one, Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. Yeah. 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 No, for me, I... um... I actually re- the only one I revisited when this new one came out was the first one because this movie they actually kind of brought back at least one the the, the um Kittredge character. Right. He hasn't right. been in the series since the first one. And um I mean it's a beautifully shot film and it's you know the great director Brian De Palma who made Carrie and uh, Scarface and all these great movies directed the first one and it's it's a really stylish film but I do find it kind of I don't know if it's just like confusing or or kind of shakily written or paced. I think the, the scene where he he sneaks into the offices and he dangles, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. iconic scene yeah. where he's on the wires, five star, brilliant, just amazing yes. sequence. Yes. Um, but other than that, the movie it's it's not my favorite. The second one I don't really remember much about, other than I just thought it was okay. It's John Woo. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to revisit it. Um, but my it, dad always describes it as the hair movie. <laughs> yes, the slow, hair, yeah, the yeah, slow yeah, mo yeah. hair movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got the long hair in that one. Um, yeah. So not not much impression on that one. And the third one I like. The third one has the significant asset of the greatest actor of all time, Philip Seymour Hoffman, playing the villain. 
<laughs> and he is absolutely amazing in that movie. Like, it's, oh, really? Wow. It's like an incredible the thing about Hoffman was he never was slumming, even when he was just doing a franchise movie for a paycheck or whatever. He always gave it 110 percent. And he is incredible in this movie um, and even has a fun part where he has to play Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is wearing a mask as him like it's it's a cool movie it's not the greatest it's J.J. Abrams first movie as a director as a feature film director and so it's you can see him kind of getting his bearings you know in terms of how he shoots stuff he's not quite as slick and sort of clean as he was you know when you get to like Star Wars The Force Awakens but it's a fun movie um but it's really with Ghost Protocol and the then the which is by Brad Bird you know one of our great directors um, and then the the now three movies and soon to be fourth movie, I think next year that have been directed by Christopher McQuarrie that I feel like I've really sort of fallen in love with this series. And and, and Ghost Protocol, I think, is the first one where uh, I was really, really on board with just I think they 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 figured something out with the tone. I think they brought Simon Pegg into the movie yep. a little bit more. Simon Pegg is a little bit in the third one, but you know, more of a minor character in this, he's part of the team and you have crews. And then, and then I feel like each movie they've been honing closer and closer to all the parts that kind of work, you know, cause the, it, each movie it, they used to have kind of a team that rotated, but they always keep Ving Rhames because Ving Rhames is just great. Yeah. And Ving Rhames sticks around. And then when, once you get to five and six, it's like Ving Rhames and you got Rebecca Ferguson from the fifth one and you got Simon Pegg in there. And it's just like exactly what you want. Yeah. Um, I love the, the so the fourth one is awesome. The fifth one is is kind of amazing. It's got the opera scene, some of my favorite stuff in it. I yeah. think there's a case to be made. It might even be the best one in terms of the Ethan and Ilsa stuff. And that's um, my opinion. The fifth one is by far the best one. Yeah, I know. So. Yeah, I I might um I still ride for the sixth one because I just think it's like the tightness of how it just like it it's so thrilling. Um. But I do, I love the, I do love the end of the fifth one. Like it's a, it's a quieter kind of more of a standoff ending. Yeah. And I think it really is spectacular. Um, but I, yeah, the fifth and sixth one are just great. And then, so that brings us to the, the seventh one. And um, is there anything else you want to talk about, about the series as a whole before we. No, just my, it? I mean, yeah, my, my personal opinion, the fifth one is, is the most memorable for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's the movie I think about the most with the series. And some context, the sixth one was kind of overkill for me. I'm not sure. I remember feeling kind of left out of the emotion that a lot of people felt with the sixth one. It's very high-octane action. It feels like a stunt-driven John Wick kind of experience. Um, Everything is punchy in the movie. Um, I think there's there's something happening with the combat uh, that felt goofy to me when they're i know everybody loves that bathroom fight but i'm like what is this like what is happening on this movie it's it's five star scene absolutely yeah. <laughs> brilliant scene isaac i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i gotta rewatch it again i guess i just i think i was like exhausted by some of the way that the action was uh put together that's why i think watching this film was so um it was not what i expected it kind of went back to the more reserved um Mm -hmm. thing that that the fifth movie had um okay yeah let's let's get into dead reckoning um couple things right off the bat this is probably 
in second place for me uh, in the Mission Impossible. Wow. Uh, okay. Like in, okay. Uh, in the whole series. Um, even though it has flaws, I bet you if I rewatched uh, Ghost Protocol, that might take the spot um, mm-hmm. because I think Ghost Protocol's opening is stronger. This movie's opening sucks. I, I really think that Dead Reckoning's opening is horrible. It's interesting. Um, Sean Fennessy, the film critic, also thought they should have cut the opening. It should have gone straight to the boardroom or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the movie is long. It's yeah. so long. And so f- for them to do like three openers, right? You have the submarine opening. I'm like, okay, I'm following. Then you have like the uh, the like sand dune gunfight. Yeah. And, and then like a... There, I guess, full spoilers, right? Full spoilers in this in this review. So if you haven't seen it, okay, we're going um, for spoilers. We both we're, say we're, it's great. See the movie. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we both we both say it's great. Uh, I'm gonna do my best not to spoil anything, but I just want you to know things are gonna slip the further this episode goes. You know, it's just gonna happen. So oh, we got to get into some spoilers. That's for yeah, sure. yeah. Um, then they they kind of have like a little fake out moment uh, with the characters and the dunes, and then you get sort of the government uh like the american government schemers the schemer scene um and at that point with the scheming that's where i'm starting to be like i think i understand what's happening with this movie and you it kind of launches you into the first uh mission moment which is the airport transaction um yeah, yeah. and so they like that that opening was just too long for me uh, it is I a long. I felt for, like I didn't know what was yeah. going on for way too long, uh, and I think that's sad because they do establish a threat that's pretty menacing in this movie. Um, <laughs> the entity, uh, yes. yeah, the entity, right? It's this this AI uh, villain that is basically tapped into everything digital, and I love like kind of the the implication where. Uh, the United States government has an all analog room, right? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It's, On it's typewriters. Like, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. The 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 rows of people typing history uh, before the internet is fully erased and the history is rewritten. Um, the the this like kind of the safe room that's all analog. They're using one last final ancient radio satellite that's up in space, right? There's kind of like a a neat setup, and then. Um, the reliance on technology uh, that's presented at the airport with Tom Cruise and his team, um, they they like begin to instantly realize that their foe can manipulate the tools that they so often use to get an advantage over their opponents. So the camera systems, the glasses that Tom Cruise wears, right? Like it gets like the threat is elevated so quickly, and then to also bring back the first movie's villain, right? You're like, oh man. Like this to me, this is a threat, right? The fifth movie, they do a great job establishing um, that one guy that whispers, but he's yeah, just Solomon. like, yeah. yeah, Solomon is just scary. I mean, he's just whispering and it's like, this guy means business. You come into this movie, even though it takes forever to understand, you're like, oh, the entity is like a big deal, right? I am threatened by this. You know, the sure ghost protocol, they're like, oh, microchips or micro bugs or whatever. Like, it's like kind of dumb. In this movie, you're like, I can buy the threat. I can buy the, the, uh, there's a, there's a guy that's like a disciple of the AI. Right. And it's just, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a, it, to me, it worked. 
I don't know. It was like it yeah. was stupid, but it was exciting enough to have me engaged with the film Indeed. a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, so I really feel like what we need to do is break down these different mission experiences throughout the movie because you have yeah. the airport, you have the uh, kind the of Venice. Is that does the yeah, Venice scene come after? That? Yeah, there's like the Venice. No, no, no. The, the sorry, the Rome car case. Well, it's 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 like no, they have the um. Yeah, it is the car chase. Then it's the party. The party in Venice. Yeah, the party in Venice, and then it's the train right yeah. after. Basically, yeah. there's some interludes between where they stand in a room and explain what's going on. Basically, yes, yeah. Um, though I have to say, Macquarie at this point has become such a good director that these scenes where people there's a lot of movie scenes in this movie where it's just people sitting in a room explaining something and it's not really that compelling as writing but he shoots it so well and it's so fun to look at and the way it's scored and everything that even it kind of he kind of gets away with it a little bit i think not to mention just the goodwill we have from six movies of enjoying Cruz and Ving Rhames and all our all our old pals uh, back together um but yeah, yeah, the first, I'm not really sure where I stand on the first, because I enjoy the submarine thing, and I enjoy the desert thing, and and the boardroom, where they're, every time they talk about the entity, it's so ludicrous, and it just makes me laugh. It's It was it was a bridge too far for some people. I have one friend who just thought it was too stupid, and he just couldn't oh, okay. get on board with the movie. Um, but I don't know, I mean, uh, it helps maybe I just don't have much knowledge about this techn- technological stuff anyway so i'm just kind of happy to go for the ride and also it, i think there's a tongue-in-cheek quality to how he yeah, writes the yeah. dialogue too um it's like i think i like all the scenes but i do feel like it is a little bit too long of a build-up without any like crews doing a mission scene he goes to the desert but it doesn't feel like a mission impossible scene or mission impossible movie until you get to the airport after the um after the credit sequence um but once you get there i mean i don't know man i i love that airport i think just think that whole sequence is it was brilliant i mean didn't you think it was just like i don't know really just a fun scene to watch like really brilliantly done yeah yeah um i thought the airport sequence was um again it solidifies the entity that you don't understand for the the really long introduction right mm-hmm. because you can't really understand the threat until they're on mission right? right and that's that that's also the first chance where you know you can you can understand like you know your your goo goo gaga brain can be like okay they're looking for these key parts right like then yeah. then like things are coming together okay they want the keys we saw those at the beginning with the submarine right yeah um two people have the key parts and and we're and they're they're trying to or do they have one of them? That's I I, I don't even remember. At yeah, that they point. have. He has one from Ilsa, right? Um, and that he's getting the other one, or at least he thinks he's getting it from uh, Haley Atwell, who we first meet in the airport. Who kind of is this new character who's kind of a lone wolf, pickpocket, scalawag? You know, just this kind of uh, rascal character, basically, who's just kind of um, working on her own. And who Cruz has to kind of enlist and or kind of she kind of serves a little bit of the function that Rebecca Ferguson did in the fifth movie. Right. Where it's someone who's kind of 
a collaborator, kind of an antagonist or someone who's messing up his plans and even also a little bit of a love interest or there's some kind of chemistry there. Um, and we'll get into more about the Ferguson aspect yeah, of it as we go I, on. But I, 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 but I really some... thought she was great in the movie. Like I really enjoyed Haley, Haley Atwell. Yeah. Um, very yeah. charming. I think um, one of the things that makes this movie click with me like the fifth one are the different kind of teams that are at work and mm-hmm. the the kind of like hopping of sides, right? You have the government interest, you have uh, the IMF and their objective, right? Then you have mm-hmm. um, uh, Atwell and she's kind of that lone wolf pickpocket. And, um, and then you have like the entity and his disciple who is the villain from the first movie, right? So you have like... Super- oh, no, well, he's not the villain from the first movie, but he's... Oh. Um, the, the guy from the first movie is the director of the IMF. The older okay, guy right, who meets right. on the train later. The guy, um, the Hispanic guy who's the villain, um, you see in flashbacks, but those aren't from the original. Yeah, movie. okay. Yeah, yeah. And so like the... Um, I don't know. It just kind of plays like that. That the like the super evil, the secret good, the government that is like kind of in that gray area, and mm-hmm. then like the rogue characters. I don't know. Like I think all those moving parts in the powder keg makes those scenes exciting. Like with the airport, uh, and things turning up. Um, in. I actually think the party scene as well really is where like those, those pieces begin to clash again Mm, on the, on the train. I mean, I think it's less of the, the intertwining stuff because they introduce, well, it's there, but they introduce like a fifth party with that lady. Who's like the buyer. I I, I don't know. Like uh, Vanessa, uh, Vanessa Kirby. She's in the sixth movie actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really remember her. So I was like, all right, some person that I don't remember. It's a little bit too much. I, I actually do think what, and I think what actually puts this movie, I mean, as much as I, I think it's delightful to watch. And I think, I honestly think it's like my favorite movie this of the summer. Um, you know, the Oppenheimer Barbie. I was like, you know, a stumping for this one. But, I think this is actually better than, than those movies. Yeah, I do too. I think it's great. <laughs> but, I, I could see that perspective. But I still think um, comparing to the other, the last three missions, I think there is a simplicity to those movies that this one, I think he may have bit off a little bit more than he can chew with so many factions and he gets away with it because all of them are fun to watch. I like the old guy, uh, uh, Henry Turney from the first movie, the director of the, uh, who, who enunciates all his words very carefully. He's fantastic. The two guys who are on their pursuit, who work for the IMF, the older white guy and the younger black guy. Yeah. Um, like really fun kind of a buddy movie, like yeah, top movie yeah. dynamic between them, like really charming. Um, and uh, uh, who's the other? Oh yeah. And then the villain is great. That mm-hmm. is Isai Morales. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite characters in the whole movie and just a cool, just character is, is Palm Clementif as the blonde, like enforcer of the bad guy who's driving yeah. the massive truck. Yeah. She's, she's uh, I think best known for playing Mantis in like the guardians movies right, or whatever. Right. Yes. Um, but she is so cool and just has like this great look and and this kind of like gleeful, delighted uh, quality as she's just wreaking havoc, at least in the first half of the movie. Yeah. Um, and then kind of has like an interesting arc by the end of the movie. Like it kind of really 
um, really a nice character. Um, and then, of course, just all the characters returning from the previous movie who who are so likable. So it's it's um it's a little bit overstuffed. I think it's the longest mission movie yet, and it's, it was supposed Overst- to be a part one to next you know one, but it's it's a little bit too much. Go ahead. Overstuffed is probably the best way to put it. Overstuffed yeah. but enjoyable. I mean, it's like the Thanksgiving dinner of Mission Impossible. Mm. That's I yeah. I had to watch this film in two or three sittings. I think because <laughs> uh, I just I would get through an hour and I was like, I think my my viewing ended at the airport scene, mm. uh, and then I kind of did like the Rome Venice section, and then I did the train ending, uh, which I was like, works. yeah. Yeah, those three parts together. By the time I was watching the train section, I was like, "This is great! Like, I'm all, I'm all about this." Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, towards, I mean, it just feels extremely long, and they keep introducing different, different characters over and over and over again. Um, or, or yeah, people that you've seen before, and and they're doing another explaining scene. Which watching it in pieces, I kind of liked. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're getting me back up to speed in between each action set piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, that's true. Uh, um, so they they worked really hard to make sure that you knew what was happening. Um, but And I do yeah. like, I have to say, some of the thematic stuff they explore through exposition when they're talking about the entity. It does feel a little bit, it's not that like the movie is like, has a, something profound to say, but it, it is more interesting than just pure characters explaining things because it does feel like it's a little bit Macquarie maybe commenting on or tapping into the modern world a little bit and sort of confusing like he there were certain things where he would comment on something about uh the way like people can be manipulated or governments could be manipulated by the entity that feel like relevant that feel kind of familiar and you kind of get a little bit of a chill up your spine when the characters talk about it because it 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 feels like he's uh, commenting on a moment that's like very much with us. So I, I, I felt like I think that's another reason he kind of gets away with it a little bit, even though it's a little bit clunky and maybe not as uh, streamlined as like the the sixth one. I think I watched the sixth one. I rewatched it right after seeing this. And that movie is just like this pure, like just like a bullet, you know, it's right, just like right. Brilliant, like f- just keeps going. Um, very, very simple story, like very, very elegant. Um but you know, there's there's a fun to the, his uh, the idiosyncratic quality of this, and I also kind of like the fact that he he seems to kind of change his style with each of these. He directed the fifth, sixth, and this one, Macquarie, and he kind of changes his um, like how he shoots things and how the tone of the movie. Each one feels a little bit different. The first one had this like quality of like with the opera, and it, and it was kind of maybe a little bit more comedic and a little bit. Um, and and then also kind of romantic and 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 also kind of felt a little inspired by Hitchcock. The second one was very like bombastic, very Nolan, I think, inspired. Mm-hmm. And then this one, he's going a little bit back to the really stylish De Palma style of things. He's doing a lot of these Dutch angles, tilted camera stuff that yeah, De Palma likes. Yeah, I noticed the Dutch angles. Yeah, yeah, and and he's um, and then also kind of a little bit of a goofier, a little bit of a, a wackier. Uh, tone i guess than than the other two um i don't know i i i i respect i respect what he's going for i i, I think i think it's fun it works for i think the the thought that i had the most of this movie is it's like it feels like the modern bond 
movie. Yeah. Yeah, um, really. There's something about the way that he handles the entire cast that makes it feel like a 21st century movie. I mean, I feel like that's what's always kind of cut away at the modern Bond movies is that it's always just focused on Bond and in the Craig movies, right? They then realized, well, we could have more than uh, just one character. You know, we're going to also introduce, right, the um, the the Secret Service side with uh, whoever that old British yeah, lady Wright. is, right? Oh, 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 yeah, British. Uh, in in Bond, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Skyfall, like he's got old granny. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Judy Dench, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, and then, his superior. And then you know the the love interests are a little bit more fleshed out, and the villains are like almost Batman villains in in the Craig movie. So they right. they kind of have these different pieces where I think um, this movie kind of takes the spy thriller to the next level is it like it really humanizes and makes the henchmen good and bad on both sides like have this mm-hmm. sort of fun presence on screen at all times i mean bond had like you know oh you got odd job and stuff but they're just visual like gi joe characters that you'd want to buy right yeah or like, or like video game like bosses or something right like that. right they're not that is true yeah you have Haley atwell on one side you have a Palm Clementif on the other, who kind of get to both go through kind of a, a transformation as the movie goes on. That that makes it satisfying in a way that Ethan is kind of an unchanging force. Like Cruz isn't really right on much of a character. Like he doesn't really change over and the course of the movies. And that's the same with like kind of Bond. You watch a Bond movie yeah. and it doesn't yeah. seem like he changes at all, right? So really. that I think that that like strong spy character. Uh, being consistent is what people want, like in a in a spy movie. Um, if you want, I don't know, like I'm even thinking about like the Bourne trilogy, and I, it's been a long time. I actually want to revisit those now, um, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, it's interesting that the leads are always kind of like these um, kind of steady action soldier spy guys that they don't go through a lot of change, but this. This movie, I do think that, um, like, you can tell that Cruz is is struggling uh, in a way that he isn't in the other movies. Um, oh, how, how do you mean? I just feel like they're 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 going for something a lot more. When you said uh, romantic about um, Dead Nation or whatever the the fifth movie is, Broke um, Nation, yeah. Like, yeah. I actually felt that this film was doing like this romantic bond thing at the beginning, which I was really surprised by. I did not expect this movie. And and I think it, it particularly came through with the score. And that's why the beginning of this movie didn't work for me. Uh, because hmm. it was like lots of like strings and like flowing music during action set pieces. I mean, the whole section in the desert is all like kind of wavy scores, right? And and everything that like all of the reveals, I don't know if it was just the sound of this of the streaming experience. I'm not sure, but it seemed like the score was just kind of this like droning uh ambient kind of like like it feels like dr- like very drama mid-tempo sort of like the strings are sort of swelling in and out. And there's not like the exploding like Mission Impossible like 
you expect Ethan to take his mask off and there's like a big like dun dun, you know. But yeah. like dun, dun, dun. Yeah, dun, yeah. Well, they do that they do that maybe once, but a lot of it is kind of like um more propulsive or repetitive kind of um more the Hans Zimmer, I guess, type of scoring. Um, but the, that 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 beginning section though has a lot of that like there's like a reflective element to the score that like you, then you start seeing those Dutch angles. You see Ethan kind of, you know, with his pizza delivery moment or whatever, yeah, right? Like yeah, right. All, every, everything seems much more like internal and contemplative. And you get that feeling of like, okay, this movie is trying to wrap this up. They are really trying to conclude this movie. It's supposed to be kind of a, uh, epic buildup. It feels like the first 20 minutes of return of the King where you're like, what, mm-hmm. what what they're setting up what they're setting up you know like and then once you get to the airport um it feels like that that kind of waving reflective score kind of backs up and kind of becomes the normal score that you expect uh, as the action takes place that's um, very interesting i i don't know if i if i really picked up on the score to me i what i my recollection of it is it, of it being more kind of mysterious than ref- like reflective or emotional. Well, we, we might be saying the same thing in different ways, though. I mean, I, I I know a lot of the early part of the movie, he uses some kind of instrument or it could be a synth sound that is a kind of an unsettling. It actually is the first sound you hear as the Paramount logo appears, um, which is like the entity's theme or like the entity's sound. Mm, yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't even know what instrument that is as it plays. And then there's like a lot of. The other thing he uses a lot of is is a drum line, is a, like a, a group of snare drums that are playing um, in unison, like the opening title or when they're um, <laughs> running around in Rome, um, and probably some stuff at the end. And then there there are some like really big swelling emotional stuff in in um, Venice. There's one piece uh, when we'll get to we'll get to that part that I just think is like you know, on the bridge with um, Rebecca Ferguson that I just think is like a stunning, one of the mm. best pieces of music I've heard uh, written for a movie last year. Um, so I didn't, so I, I mean, are you, are you positive on the score from what you're saying? I'm not really sure if are you, or is this a kind of a hang up? I feel like this movie has some tonal problems because of the beginning and the scoring. Um, and it doesn't feel till like once the airport stuff starts, then it feels like everything is falling into place. Um, mm. Including like, that's where I thought the, cause the, you, you talk about like the score of that, that bridge scene. Um, mm. And that's where I was like, Oh, this score sounds like the beginning of the movie to me a little bit. Like it has that sort of same energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it makes sense here, but it didn't make sense back there for me. So I can understand why elements of the score worked in some sections of this movie hmm. and elements uh, and those same elements and sounds of the score earlier in the film made it feel like it like doubled down to the sluggishness of the beginning of the film for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really thought that where the score looked the worst and felt the worst for me is the uh the sand gun fight um where she like ferguson's sniping and and uh and tom cruise is running around in, in the sand maybe i'm overthinking it but again i'm watching this 
I'm like, what is even happening in this movie? You know, <laughs> like what is going on at this moment? That's you know, very interesting. I I don't recall any either any time I've watched this movie, thinking, I never really think of the score, uh, either standing out at all, other than just being like, wow, this is really well done. Um, I I mean, it could be my my sound bar too, or something like my audio is just not there. Um, but but for some reason when i was watching it it was like the score was like kind of this melancholy waving thing and i'm watching that scene and i'm like i don't know if this is like like what where when is this movie gonna pick up like i mean because the last movie was like you know the bullet fires and you're going right and this movie is like there's this scene where like you know and, and they also do that fake out at the beginning uh and so okay full spoiler warning we're gonna get yeah, into yeah, it. Do it do it do it ferguson is like uh killed right away right and it's n- and she's not killed right it's a fake out but right you kind of i'm like the score with you know the score is like oh she died I, I just remember like feeling like the tone at the beginning of this movie is so weird like i'm like what where is this going you know <laughs> like huh. what is happening with this film um and so they do like, you know, the mo- the he's in that gunfight. The music's kind of mid-tempo, slow, swelling. I'm like, okay, this doesn't feel action-packed, really, even though they're fighting in the desert, right? Like, it should be kind of more intense than the score showing. And Ferguson dies, I'm like, oh, that quickly, huh? Like, And I was like, and she's like kind of a big character, you know? And now she's just yeah. dead, you know? Like, yeah. And I was like, and the score's just still moaning along. I'm like, what a weird way to start this movie, you well, know? Here- here, here's what's interesting. I don't know if there is score in a lot of this. Well, are you watching than, it on YouTube or? Yeah, I'm watching it on the on the Paramount. Um, all I'm hearing is like just the sound effects, and then occasionally there's like a note, maybe like a bass note, or just like a dumb, yeah, you know. But it's not there's not really much score as he's running around in the desert. I mean, maybe that's what it is, right? Maybe when I was watching it, I was like, what? Why does this feel so weird? Yeah. You know, why does it not feel like the Mission Impossible action? And then I think late- it also might just feel weird because it's so rushed. You know, right. like it feels like, especially if you're going to kill off Ilsa, um, and this will get to this <laughs> kind of how I feel about the part later in the movie. But um, the if you were going to kill her off in the opening, it does feel like a little bit rushed. And I know Macquarie also like shoots like way more. Than they end up using oftentimes. There are huge sequences, like big scale sequences in Fallout that he just cut because he knew it was like pacing wise, it didn't work, even though it probably costs so much to shoot. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the desert opening was maybe it might have been a 20 minute long sequence that he was like, mm, it's not going to work if I have 20 minutes of this. Yeah, and then the movie hasn't even started yet, you know, or the credits haven't even started. So he might. It it definitely feels a little truncated. I think that that could be part of it. But that's that's interesting. You you your brain went to the score on that, um, or maybe lack huh. lack of right or lack, lack of score. I was like, yeah. this just feels like a big moment, and whatever's happening musically is not helping that. So that's yeah. why later in the movie, um, the Venice scene to me was like this is good stuff you know yeah. uh it, it it's clicking in a way that so score I don't know. feels like appropriate for a final showdown that music that's why i like yeah. it so much that yeah i think on the in the score it's called 
I was hoping it was you or something like that. Yes, yes. And that really feels like um, epic, you know, the last stand kind of score. Um, and I mean, I, let's, we don't need to dance around anymore. I mean, let, why don't we just talk about her yeah. dying? Because that sequence, first of all, incredible that the way he's he assembles that whole part where of him running through Venice uh, Benji's voice being hijacked by the entity. Yeah. Um, fantastic. The the little fight he has in the really narrow alley with Pum Clementif and the other guy. Oh my gosh. Um, that, too, that was my, brutal. I think that was my favorite action scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a, an incredibly claustrophobic setup, right? Yeah. There's kind of shoulder, shoulder in that tight alleyway. Yeah. Uh, and the gate shuts on both ends. And there's a guy on both ends, and that um, the the mantis actress is on. Like she's scary with a katana that is sheathed, right? And she can't seem to like, or like a pipe or something. Yeah, I something don't even know like what that. it is, but yeah, it's it's cool as hell, and it's just uh, a a really brutal, awesome action. I mean, I just feel like watching this movie. We're talking about Born, and we're talking about like um, John Wick. I just feel like this movie is when I watch John Wick four, it's like, that's as brilliant as those movies are choreographed. I think th those movies really could take a hint on how the mission Impossible movies pace action. Because when I watch John Wick, he kicks someone's ass and I'm like, yeah, wow, that was awesome. And then he does it 50 times and I'm just bored. Like it's just completely uninteresting to me. But these movies always there's a sense of variety and a sense of like movement to it, and even if it's not as elegant, it might not be as elegant as John Wick. It um it has an impact. It has like a you feel the punches, um, right? Especially right. and especially in that sequence, like that. I think kind of think that sequence is is kind of the the um, the equivalent to the bathroom fight in the sixth movie. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and then and then then that. Amazing music as Cruz is he cross cuts Cruz running as the music is swelling and Rebecca Ferguson is dueling Isai Morales on the bridge um, and then he stabs her and she goes down and she's dead um, is it's a great sequence and like I I I, I can't fault it because it's it's great filmmaking but at the same time. I'm watching this and I'm going, Rebecca Ferguson is basically the second lead of this series at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the se in the fifth movie, she's the second lead. She's what Haley Atwell kind of is in this movie. You know, she's kind of his will they, won't they romantic interest slash, you know, his partner in crime. They have a great dynamic. She's just like so awesome. Uh, great, just, you know, awesome action hero. And for her to go down in this way where it's a cool scene, but it's not a, it's not a Tony Stark death. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not, I feel like it wasn't a death worthy of the character. We needed some Boromir stabs, you know, like we needed oh, some, yeah. like oh, that great the fact that it was like just <laughs> one, I was like, really? Like I, I thought she was going to like pull it out and stab him one more time and then the second knife because yeah they're teasing two knives the whole fight yeah so exactly like, why did they not use the second one you know and then, like and then you know connecting yeah i mean and it's just it just is uh 
I, I, I don't know. I, you know, as we were saying about the earlier scene where like you thought she was dead in the first, you know, first moments of the movie. I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that she was dead in that first scene. Cause I was like, well, yeah, you're not going to kill her like that. So it wasn't even shocking when she comes back from the sand, the sand dunes. Um, yeah. But this, this, what this all brings us to is where I'm, this is, we're going to enter my little conspiracy corner here or whatever. My, my, my extracurricular theories, because I don't think she's dead. And my, and I have been to the great annoyance of my family rambling on for, and now I guess it's been six months since this movie came out. Absolutely convinced that this is not, uh, that she's coming back in the next movie. And I have no basis for this in fact. And it may just be me being like, oh, I don't want to let go of this awesome character who I really liked. But um, I just feel like if you're going to write her out of the series, it could have been a lot more of an epic, um, an epic way to go. And then on top of that, I think to me, there's a lot of evidence in in the movie that points to her being still alive like for one thing she's stabbed with a knife it's the same knife that palm clementif is stabbed with at the end of the movie and palm clementif they think she's dead when he when he uh parachutes away and then when the the imf guys run up she's still alive she still has a pulse right right so she's not actually dead so that sort of makes me go oh is there something with these knives or what's going on um, I also just think on a writing level, on a character level, on on a thematic level, having proving the entity wrong, proving the entity's prophecy that one of these women is going to die, and the entity is always right. Um, I just feel like it would be such a great um, a twist against the main villain. To be like, no, you were it was it, you were completely wrong, and and neither woman died as you prophesized. It just feels like it would have that kind of moment, and it also just gives a great kind of Avengers Endgame moment if yeah um, she returns in the last movie, which just feels like I, I just can't see Cruz and Macquarie wanting to pass that up. Now I have seen interviews with Rebecca Ferguson where she says, you know, ah, I was kind of done with the series. I have other things to do. It's a lot of hard work. So I may be just completely delusional. Your theory is it was Luther with a mask. <laughs> Luther stabbed her. No, oh, Luther no, no. Got Luther stabbed, Luther stabbed oh, with the that's mask. Because he he disappears because he's like, I'm gonna go hack on a on the in the Bahamas or oh, something. Like, what are you talking about? That is just hilarious. That's this total like Ving Rames. They could only get him for a certain amount of time, and and he doesn't want to have to be in the whole movie. That's right. Um, that's right. But. I don't know. What do you think about this? Am I out, am I out of my mind? How, how, how do you feel? I think she's gone. You know, I I, <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like the the idea with it was to um, to show that again, like they're they're they keep doubling down that the entity is super difficult to beat, right? Yeah. Um, I do think that the scene could have been more effective if they used more of a Boromir's death. Um, Again, if she's not dead, I really think the second part is going to be so stupid. I mean, I just can't. I my mind is racing with how dumb it's going to get already. Right? What do you mean with dumb? It. It's going to be an awesome moment where Rebecca Ferguson 
And they go, dun, 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 yeah, dun. What, what, what is it? Up. Tom Cruise yanking on a big power cord to unplug the entity. I mean, like, it's it's going to be like, <laughs> I, I don't yeah, even whatever. know where this is going to go. Tom Cruise puts on an Apple Vision Pro and teleports to get in a fist fight with an AI. Oh. You know, like, it's yeah. just, I, I, I already think that the series can totally lose itself uh, with this entity thing, if they're going to kill uh, Rebecca Ferguson twice and then have her come back for the, the second time, it's going to be like, Oh my goodness. You know, like it would be, it would be cool, but not at some point you got to just be like, man, I got, I got to watch mission impossible five again. I mean, this is just it's, too much. You know, I just, I just think it's like, it's, it, it's, it sets up a great moment. I mean, also to be honest, I, not only is it, I think is it partly me wanting being delusional on the part of like, oh, I don't want, you know, oh, Ilsa is such a cool character. I don't want to see her go. It also, I think, watching, to me, the, it makes it a worse movie if she did really die. This movie, I mean, because it just is like, oh, that's how you're going to get rid of this character. And it also makes it, there's a kind of a part of it that I don't feel so good about, which is that it's like, is Haley Atwell just kind of, they're just replacing Rebecca Ferguson? Um, and it's like the the movie can only have one you know, woman co-lead character. Like it, it feels like if that really was the case and this is the last we see of Ferguson, um, it just seems like, it just seems a little bit cynical. And I know it's like, that's what happens and, and movie stars have other, you know, business they have to uh, work on. You know, if they get tired of doing massive amounts of exercise and work <laughs> for these franchises. But I just, uh, I just think it's a better movie if then you go to the next one and then, you know, there's a heroic a heroic reveal or something. I just, to me, is like, how could you pass up something like that? You know, in, just in the same way as like Avengers Infinity War. If you watch Avengers Endgame and all those guys didn't come back, you'd be like, what the hell was that? You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't be yeah. like, oh, that was interesting. You'd be like, bring back the Falcon. What's going on here? You know, bring back I all our buddies. It- yeah, I don't think I'll ever say bring back the Falcon. Um, I well, or I, whatever <laughs> Spider Man. He's just the first guy that shows up, I guess. I think you're out of luck. And you know what, Juzo? The more we <laughs> review this movie, the more I'm kind of changing my mind about it. Actually, uh, I when I said, "Oh yeah, this or? is no," I'm like, "Oh, this is like right underneath uh, Dead Reckoning for me," um, or, or Rogue Nation. Or, yeah, Rogue Nation is right under Rogue Nation for me. Um. Yeah, I don't think that's true anymore. <laughs> the more we talk about it, the more I'm getting like enraged by it. From a sit back and enjoy experience, like I had a lot of fun watching this over a couple nights. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think Ferguson's out. I also think the fact that she just doesn't have very much screen time in it uh, is sort of. They really do kind of put her to the side for Atwell, and. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think they're just like, yeah, we're just moving forward with this for now. Um, it, it is a tough place because there's only only so many times Ferguson can be the character. Ilsa can, can be the character who is double crossing Ethan and she can't be trusted, you know. But at a certain point, by the time you get to the end of the sixth movie, she's just one of the team. She's with yeah. she's like Luther and Benji. She's just a trusted associate. And I think both on a storytelling level and I think also on a level as an actress, it's probably less, a much less interesting part to play of just like, I'm on the team than uh, being, you know, this kind of what, what Atwell gets to be, which is like 
the scalawag who's who's screwing up Ethan's plans and and uh, you know sort of uh, playfully creating mischief. Um, so I don't know if that it would you wouldn't really be able to make that happen. I don't know. Whatever. I there there are people. I'm not the only one. As as Tobias Funke once said on Arrested Development, that you know there are dozens of us. There are dozens of us. <laughs> Who believe in this? Why did you want to quote theory? that out of all the things? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there's that many, but there there are. There, I have read other people who are like have have made much longer uh, dissertations about why Ilsa is still alive. Um, man, but I didn't anyway. know there was such a strong Ilsa base. There, so. There's yeah. The, yeah, I didn't feel much with her death. I was like, "Oh, that's sad." Now, yeah, I was like, "I was like, okay, yeah, this this is more and more of a villain." It's know? exactly what I mean. Exactly what I mean. It's like it's, it should a character that big in the movie because I was dreading for someone to die. I felt like Luther was going to die this movie just because he's older and you know whatever, and he's been around for so long. I just felt like, and I, you know, I'm going into this. T- I'm telling my brother, like, man, I'm going to cry if Luther gets killed. Yeah, you know? or or Benji. I mean, Benji. Or Benji. Like, in the fifth movie, they're constantly toying with Benji's life, which oh I think was God, why yeah. I like the movie so much too. But yeah, it's so it's so satisfying when he yeah he gets the you know vest off of him or whatever. Um, it's so great. I but I just think um, oh you know the other thing that I just think is you don't really see Cruz that upset about it. You know, like he mourns for a little bit, and then I promise I'll get off this topic soon. But this is the part the part where Atwell asks. He, she's talking to Luther and she says, I'm the reason that woman is dead. And Luther says, no, that's not true. Um, she's the reason you're alive. And that's the truth. And to me, I go, hmm, is he saying something here? Is he saying? I mean, you might, you might be honest. That's true. That is a good line. Uh, it's a line you think about. You might have converted. I don't know. Jesus, though. I don't know. I'm, yeah, the I'm, other thing is that there's just not a lot of emotion in in the death of her i kind of felt like i knew it was coming because she's like oh i've never been to venice <laughs> yeah and they have yeah. like that old person hug and you're just kind of like <laughs> all right you know <laughs> this is, i just think of indiana jones biting the ear venice you know <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, venice. <laughs> yeah man. Uh, i just i don't know no, it's, they, uh, they are like an old person couple aren't they like they they have a nice little hug and they hold hands on a little Venice uh, uh, gondola at, at candlelight. That's very cute. I don't know. Yeah. I just miss that dynamic. I, I just think Cruz and Ferguson are so great yeah. together. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, you you see them together and you're already thinking about, you know, the opera, the motorcycle scene. I mean, I let's let's talk about the car chase scene in this yes. movie. Um, yes. I thought it was fun. Again, these movies have like these vehicle chase moments. And I don't they're usually my least favorite parts of huh. the of the movie. Um, and I thought this one was fairly like standard, like a standard vehicle chase moment. Uh, but they have a lot of fun with like the yellow car that's constantly drifting and, and yeah, uh, the, the tank car. Like I love the part where they're going down all those stairs and whatnot, which it, we've seen it already. In a, in a Mission Impossible movie, so yeah, I guess maybe. Yeah, yeah. so I mean that that felt like it just had to be there, um, but I love the the moment 
the way that they're like kind of fighting to drive the car and they're switching spots. They switch spots when the car flips over. Flips over, yeah. Uh, the moment where they like go down that alleyway to the train tracks is 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 fun. Um, yeah, he walks out with the steering wheel still attached to him. Yes, yeah. Usually, like I said, like when that scene ended, I was like, okay, I got to give it to him. Like most of the time when the vehicle stuff starts, I like fall asleep because I'm like, oh, it's Fast and Furious again. But it had my attention through oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. But I, I have to say, I, I, I think, I think he, Macquarie in particular, has does a great job with these car chases, and I, and I would include also the movie uh, Jack Reacher he did with Tom Cruise mm-hmm. as one of the best car chases I've seen um, in in any recent movie. And um, now I, I can't, I can't say I share any ambivalence about this Rome sequence. I actually would be willing to say. It might be my favorite scene in any movie of 2023. Whoa, whoa. I, I, mean, I, I do, loved this sequence. I love the fisheye outside, like the mirror kind of shot at the driver. You know what I'm talking about? Like where the camera's like kind of yeah, mounted. the car. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The mounted shots are awesome uh, when they run over all those motorcycles in the tank car and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of great little, uh, little moments with this. I love like the... Um, where they first get caught by the uh, other IMF government guys. And then that other car pulls up and there's the standoff, like they're shooting out with the cars before. Yeah. They, and, they yeah. Run. Yeah. And, and Palm Clementif shows up. Yeah. And starts driving yeah. the massive truck. Yeah. I just, to me, it's, it's, I it is maybe a little hype. I mean, there might be scenes in this last year that are more emotional, more profound, whatever. But just in terms of a scene that it, it, it's it's very comparable to the West Side Story, um, the dance at the gym, where I felt like every time I saw this movie, I'm, I as the scene is approaching, I feel myself. I'm like my heart rate is elevating. Like I'm so excited we're gonna get to the big, the big fun scene that I've. I'm just the main thing, the main attraction I'm looking forward to each time. Um, I just think it's so brilliantly crafted. Like in terms of conveying speed, the sense of humor of it, the way it also it conveys character, it's kind of a romantic scene. It's even a little bit of a like a first date between them, which is what I like about it. It's kind of there's a dynamic between them that it is like a romantic comedy. Um, there's even like a little bit of a joke. There's like almost like innuendos in it, like when he starts the car and it like jets into the wall, and she's like, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, this doesn't this doesn't happen all the time, and she's like, it's okay, it's okay, you know. There's like a little bit of a sense of humor about it, um, and then not to mention just the, um, there's definitely a Buster Keaton aspect to this whole movie, and and just or just a silent comedy aspect to it, mm-hmm. and um, I think one of the things that just embodies it so much is that the, you know, a tiny car versus a giant car, the little car circling the fountain 50 times before she gets that, like, you know, gets control of it again. Um, I just think it's, it's just a dazzling, like amazing, amazing sequence. And, um, you know, easily my favorite scene sequence in the movie. Um, and I, I just always, I always, McCarty does the car chases. I just think he's, he it's like home run every time. Jack Reacher, the motorcycle thing in um, Rogue Nation, like that's like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Where they take take off in the motorcycles and Cruz is like making the turns and his leg is almost brushing the ground. Yeah, um, yeah, just amazing. And then the whole fallout, you know, scene in uh, I think it's in Paris, um, where they uh, they spring 
Solomon Lane. And it's always like he does like there's like one act to it and then it keeps going and then there's like they switch a car and then it keeps going. You know, it's like a really big sequence. Um, but boy, I just it's it's just um, it's like my happy place watching this. I, I'll watch it again on YouTube. You know, I, I just think it's great. And to conclude our conversation about this movie, we have to talk about its ending and the train sequence and everything involving that final action thing and where we think this movie sits uh, in terms of like having a sequel. Uh, uh. The more we talk about it, the more actually, I mean, I guess I'll I could just comment on the sequel thing now. The more I think that this movie really should have just been a three hour uh masterpiece that was cut down i mean i really feel like there's there's a lot of this film uh that that is good but there's like there's bloat in this movie maybe it could have been two hours and then the the part two could have been like one hour but i'm sure they're gonna justify it with some wild stunts right yeah second one so yeah um the train sequence the train sequence is where I began to just sit back and enjoy the show because I was beginning to get frustrated um, with seeing new things uh, with this movie. I think that this film and the last film, there's somebody that loves video games. Uh, with these Mission Impossible movies. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, this, yeah. This this film in particular is pulling so much from the Uncharted series, which is inspired by oh. Indiana Jones. Okay. But it's like, it's like to the point where it's like ripping off Uncharted, which is weird to me. Um, is it the stunt on the train that's, that's doing it? Or the... Um, no, the I mean... Crashes? So the train crashes the opening of Uncharted 2. Um, okay. The game opens with Drake sitting in a train with like blood dripping from his head. And he's kind of, I can actually send it to you in the chat if you want. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he essentially, he's sitting there and <laughs> you realize that he is sitting in his seat, but the train is hanging off the side of a cliff. Um Oh, and wow. so he, he his his chair falls backwards and he fall he starts falling backwards into the into the train and barely catches the pipe right it's a it's oh, one of the wow. most iconic openings for a video game um it's like this marco polo quote he wakes up and he's like oh and you, you're kind of get a, you're like why is he in the himalayas the perspective's a little weird uh and then the opening begins and it, as he hangs from the train you have to start climbing that's like the first moments of the game is like climb oh. right and so like to see that in the movie scene i'm like this is awesome to watch i love the choreography but i've seen it you know i've actually played huh. it so for me oh. i'm like not as thrilled you know i think oh. for a large group of the audience they will be like it will be enough for them right this um, is this is very I'm looking at this. This is this is very very inspired. I have to say, yeah, wow, and it's a great. I, I would rip it off too. You know, it's a great oh, yeah. scene. Um, but it's then cool. when I when I saw that, um, I was like, wait a second. The uh, <laughs> the um, the the fight 
that leads up to the train crash, which happens towards the end of the game, because the game starts with that, and then it says, like, two months earlier. And then you, like, work up to experiencing the train crash. Mm-hmm. Um, they have this same scene where he's fighting people, and there are those exact, like, train like posts over that you constantly have to like duck under and stuff. Oh, which you I mean know the, that, where he fights Eastside Morales on top yeah, of the train. Yeah. Oh. So like you're you're fighting guys with guns on the train and Uncharted 2 and people are getting hit by those those passing kind of poles on the train, right? right? I'm like, okay, yeah, I've seen that in Bond movies. So that to me that wasn't as egregious as a ripoff. But I'm like, okay, well, they're taking the most iconic part of Uncharted 2. They're also taking that train action part. And then I started thinking, I'm like, the small car and the big car, that's like in Uncharted 4. But in Uncharted 4, it's better because you like Drake ends up getting pulled along in the mud, right? I don't know. Did you play any of the Uncharted games? No, I've, n- I've never played any of these. So this is this is all news to me. But that's very interesting. Um, that Because I, I don't know if Macquarie... Macquarie is... Uh, 50 something you know, it could be almost 60 like I don't know if he's a gamer I think it probably is I think you, you probably are onto something because I have seen I think I did see someone else mention the Uncharted reference yeah I mean it like it's it's uh there's there's a scene I'll I'll, I'll send you this one um they're getting they basically are getting chased by this big armored vehicle in a tiny jeep and then it it kind of goes into a sequence. Um, I'll send you because you've already seen the the armored jeep thing, right? <laughs> you know, because yeah. you just you watch this movie. But there's the armored jeep, but the setting isn't in in uh, in in Venice. In it's like yeah, in yeah. in some other South American country, or okay. this one might be in Africa or something. But then it like leads to this sequence where you're like flying on this other car and you're being dragged through the mud and stuff. So I'm like the uncharted series. I was like, dang, you know, people used to say like uncharted was ripping off everything. But then like when you see these set pieces in the movies, I'm like, wait, uncharted kind of like made something, you know, like it kind of like made something that now movies are copying. And it, I had this like weird moment where I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm ahead of this kind of action, you know, like well, I, it's a, and yeah. And, and so like, there's, they, they all play into each other. They're all influencing each other. Right. Um, yeah. But the wow factor didn't happen for me with this mission impossible. Um, huh? I so think it's fun. Like, you enjoyed it, but it was, you're a little bit like been, I've seen this before. Right. The stunt elements. I was like, they're good. They're cool. Uh, I, there was one particular stunt that I was like, like, like cruise landing with a parachute. Yeah. I, I, I was like, dang, like he actually just landed that parachute, you know, like, Oh, I was like, you mean jumping like, off the thing with the bike? Yeah. Not just that, but like later in the movie, after the movie is like ending and he lands with the speed oh, wing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I was like, wait, that's him? Like that's crazy, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, no, and to me, mad. I was like, I'm wild there. Or he had like another moment where he like jumped and rolled, and I was like, I just can't even believe this is a 60 year old guy. Like this is this is wild, yeah. you know? No, he's, um, yeah. So there were there's still moments of wow, but I thought the alleyway fight was like the best moment in this movie. Um, Interesting, huh? Which 
when I think about other Mission Impossible movies, like Ghost Protocol, climbing the Dubai Tower, I was like, I've never seen that, you know? Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that, right? Or, uh, you know, um, Rogue Nation with the the theater scene. It's like, I've never seen anything like that. Or even like the motorcycle chase where their knees are like scraping. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I don't even know. I, I, I haven't seen an action scene like this that feels that level of octane. Um, yeah, this movie, yeah. I didn't, there wasn't any moment that I was like, like really like, wow, you know? And I know there's the jump, but the jump is shown in the trailer, which was dumb. I don't know why. I mean, I, they have to do it, but I was yeah, like, I, I do kind of wish that had been the first time I saw it. Cause I had seen that jump and then they do it behind the scenes, which I love watching the behind the scenes of this stuff because this guy not, I mean, we, we, we act like, Oh, Tom Cruise, he's out of his mind. He's so crazy. He's going to kill himself. But he's like very safety oriented. He's doing this thing hundreds of times, doing it over cardboard boxes, doing it over, you know, like in a safe area and then doing it, you know, in the open, like away from a cliff. Like he builds up to it. It's a, it's just an amazing achievement. But like the, um, you know, like the Dark Knight, you know, the truck flip or whatever, I do wish I hadn't seen it a million times in the trailer. Yeah. Because um, it would have been a moment of like, oh my God. Because at this point, we know he does everything. We know if it's him, if we're watching Ethan Hunt, that's Tom Cruise. So it would it would be a cool thing. I kind of wish they would do that for maybe the new movie or something where it's like you go into it and then you're like, oh, my God, he just, you know, he just did that. Um, I think and, and it's still again, a cool this, scene. I'm just continuing my thing about like Rogue Nation, but like that's what makes that movie awesome is that they do the, the airplane takeoff at the very beginning, right? Because it's like, okay, I've seen that. You know, I knew that was in the marketing material. And then you get wowed by these other interesting set piece action moments. Yeah, it gets um, smaller as it goes along, which is kind of love interesting. It, love it. It's yeah, funneling it along. Works. Um, but yeah, once I had the Uncharted connection, I was beginning to get more frustrated. Because like, they have like that desert shootout in the storm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like Uncharted 3. <laughs> like I, I like like with the sandstorm all of them oh, yeah man, i'm like okay. i'm like this is just like the uncharted stuff right and it's funny because the uncharted movie is out and the uncharted movie has like zero wow factor i think i yeah, mean like it is lousy I, I mean like i actually think the movie is good i oh, do okay. think the movie is good um but it takes it takes moments like uncharted 3 everybody knows that the moment with the cargo plane and the cargo hanging out the back um mm-hmm. and it after watching like Rogue Nation, you see Tom Holland jumping on those things in a blue room, like or a blue screen room, and you're yeah. kind of like, uh, yeah. you know, like that's not. Doesn't you can't really, you can't it. really do that in real life, but it has like this ugly CGI thing yeah. happening with Uncharted. Whereas there are other scenes in that Uncharted movie that I do think look really good, and it's not the CGI oh. scenes; it's the stuff where he's like, he there's he jumps off this chandelier that's in the trailer and. And like I was like, oh yeah, that 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 looks like the game, and it looks amazing. It looks just as cool as it did in in, in the game, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, Juzo, if you haven't played Uncharted Four, you should play Uncharted Four. It seems yeah. like something I would enjoy. I'm looking at these clips; it looks like a cool game. Yeah, um, I do have to say though, I think it's definitely a matter of in terms of inspiration of things. Um, movies inspiring each other and like this huge lineage i think uncharted is just one in a massive lineage of movie i mean like it's taking from 
Indiana Jones, but of course, Indiana Jones, Steven Spielberg was inspired by, you know, these like action adventure serials he grew up watching um, when he was younger. I think, you know, when you look at the train thing, it may be, it definitely evokes that uncharted opening for sure. But I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that he's, he's taking from, uh, I mean, just the, the steam engine going into the ravine. I mean, like it's totally this massive homage, I think to a movie we've watched in this podcast, um, Buster Keaton's movie, the general, Yeah, you know, where he's, he's driving that, that, you know, that steam train and, you know, goes into the, goes into the river and, um, and a lot of the, you know, the comedy and what, you know, all the stuff you can, you can play with when you have a sequence set on a train. Of course, Keaton didn't have the same access to technology and, you know, the stuff that, that McQuarrie is doing here, but, I think it, there, there's, there's definitely a history that is, you know, in player, and it just is a matter of like when you saw different things, or like have you, if you've played the video game or not. Like I didn't play the video game, so I'm just watching it kind of more cold, or maybe yeah. just to give Keaton. And then also watching, um, uh, uh, even something like Rogue Nation, like that opera scene we we're talking about. Like I always watched that. And I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like it, you know, because I saw it eight years ago. And then I watched The Man Who Knew Too Much, the uh, Hitchcock movie. And I'm like, oh, he just took this from, he just directly took this from The Man Who Knew Too Much. Right. Even down to some of the way it's edited. Though I actually think it's, you know, he's taking things, but he's also improving things. I think there's things that are better in Macquarie's sequences than in Man Who Knew Too Much. And probably there are things that are better in his train action scene than in uh, than in uncharted or even, or in the general even well yeah um, you you don't have to press the a button a million times to climb up yeah you know i much prefer that. watching a movie yeah. than playing a video game but it's and all, i like the all... piano the piano thing was awesome the piano oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, yeah that's like a that's a great little moment i think um i thought the villain knife fight was kind of dumb like on top of the on, train on top of the train and then, like the the whole like plot with her changing masks and stuff, I was I was like, okay, yeah, this is gonna be stressful. And then, like, I didn't feel that stressed. I was like, this is just kind of like, I was like, what is she doing? She's like, yeah, and then clear this girl's record. But then, like, for what? You know, <laughs> I was like, what what what's going on with that? You know? Yeah, that uh, did feel like it was only like like maybe seventy five percent as exciting as it could have been i think it's not bad but it, it um we compare it to some of the other stuff you know like more tense kind of character stuff you have other earlier in the movie like actually we didn't talk about the bomb in the airport oh yeah. think that's a great moment for like simon just uh, simon Pegg acting you know it's just that's a really cool scene i um, like so i if i could stack it for me it would be the alleyway fight with the uh -huh. bridge thing i think that's the my favorite moment in the movie okay. followed by airport I think the airport, like that's where everything is kind of coming together. It hooked me back in. Yeah. Then the the train scene, and there's there's stuff on the train before, like the villain breaking the brakes, right? Mm -hmm. So the runaway, like like that's exciting, right? Decoupling the cars, the brakes hit, you know, all that. Um, and of course the jump, right? Tom Cruise trying to figure out, he's like, how am I even going to get on this train? Yeah, um, but you're like, I know how he's gonna get on the train, so I'm not that interested, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, fun when it happens. The, the the sort of the gag when he flies to the window, even though it's very silly, but it's yeah. I I think maybe as rev we've reviewed this film, I think its greatest flaw is payoffs. 
I think that 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 is where this movie uh, has faulted for me. It's a little the part one syndrome. Yeah, Yeah. there's there's not. But even like you said, with Ferguson's death, um, maybe they're going to bring her back. Uh, But they're just it just felt like there's not. Yeah, it's got that cliffhanger thing. I mean, it's it's what I felt about Spider-Verse 2, right? Where I'm just kind Mm -hmm. of like, I'm like, I was, I enjoyed it, but, you know, it's, yeah. So, I I mean, I'm hoping, my biggest hope for the second one is new action. I know nothing's new, right? Nothing's original, right? There's a bunch of ideas, but I want to see something like, let's see like a hot air balloon fight, you know, or let's, <laughs> let's, you know, let, let's see. Well, if they like, do some underwater stuff with the submarine, that certainly would be interesting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something. I mean, I would hate that because I hate the ocean, but. Um, oh, sorry. Well, yeah, I would like, enjoy it because I love the ocean. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I mean, deep water. I'm like, I'd send me to space and let me die. I'd, I'd rather do that than be at the bottom of the ocean. So. Oh, I mean, it's terrifying, but I love yeah. visually. It's cool. I just, yeah, Finding Nemo. That's foundational for me. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, f- to me, Finding Nemo was like a horror movie as a kid. <laughs> I think that probably cemented a lot of my fear of the ocean. That's so. true. The angler fish at the deep uh, bottom of the sea is pretty horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I think that's that's the biggest thing going against this movie. And despite all of that, I enjoyed my time and I still recommend it. So how does that work? I don't know. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I still think I think it's great. I I definitely enjoyed it more than the last movie, despite its flaws. Your takes are hot, Isaac, for sure. But uh, <laughs> I I think you'll I I I'm I am convinced you're gonna watch Fallout again, and you're gonna say, "How did I? How was I led so astray?" This is a wonderful film, but uh, it's it's I I mean at least I hope you will because it's it's I think it's wonderful. Um, if I was to rank the action, I think my favorite is the the uh, Rome sequence. Um, I think the Rome sequence, the Venice thing. I really even like the Venice part where they're all standing in the room and all the women are there, and he's saying like, "One woman will die tonight," you know. Yes, and also, he yes. reveals the party. He's like, "The interest part, interested party, <laughs> is this party?" You yeah. Know? And then it's like the <laughs> so entity funny. is the party, and it goes around Cruz as he's like looking around. It's so <laughs> comical, but it's I love it. I love it to death. Um. So yeah, the whole Venice sequence. Um, and I love the train. Oh no! When I put, I almost might put the airport over the train because I just think the airport is just like really great. Yeah, no, it's I like Cruz, Cruz and Atwell having this great like almost rom com thing going, and then Benji just like in the you know like dark dark night of the soul as he's trying to turn turn off yeah. this nuclear bomb. And the uh, other thing about the airport, like again, like there was just some weird gaming thing happening for me when I was watching this because I'm I'm sitting there I'm like this reminds me of like. Call of Duty. I don't know what it is, like the terminal maps and the, you know, all of that. Like, so oh, again, that's that's yeah. where I'm kind of like, and, and it's not identical, right? It's just a setting. There are plenty of scenes in the airport, right? But I don't know what it was about nukes in in terminal. I mean, for my for my for our age range, it's like Modern Warfare was like such a big part of you know meme culture and everything that it's kind of hard not to think about when you're seeing i that. mean it, he, he may be a gamer i mean spielberg and john carpenter are much older than him and they're gamers so 
Um, maybe, maybe he is. I, the one thing I forgot, I was almost forgot to mention was the Rome chase. Part of why I love it is I think it is the best Grand Theft Auto adaptation like ever in a movie <laughs> like that totally captures the feeling of playing Grand Theft Auto where you you're racing around, you're smashing into stuff. You destroy a car like that part where the car has no doors yeah. And it's sliding all over the place. That's like exactly what happens when you bash around a car in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Um, and you're just barreling around a city. It totally, uh, it feels like someone really enjoyed playing Grand Theft Auto and wanted to like put that feeling on the screen. So uh, I think that's that's just another reason I'm a big fan of that. I think, Dude. yeah, this the, the gaming thread, the reason that I think it's so um, important to me with this movie conversation is that most often I play games and think, this is like that movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll play Call of Duty, you're storming Normandy, this is like Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. You play Hitman, you're doing an assassination in a theater, this is like, you know, Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning, or, or yeah. Rogue Nation, right? I keep getting them mixed up. So you, so you have these experiences playing video games and I was like this is so inspired by Hollywood this was like one of the first movies I watched where I was like this feels inspired by video games in a weird way um and I think that's okay because it's not like stealing a story or anything like that but um it's just interesting how the mediums are beginning to pull from each other I think the last of a show is um a good example. I'm actually replaying mm-hmm. the first Last of Us game mm-hmm. uh, right now, and it's just shockingly so cinematic and good. I'm, yeah. I'm always amazed by it. So that's what I've heard. Yeah, I think um, if it is inspired by video games, this is the best version of, of that. I definitely have seen movies where I invoke it felt like a video game as a pejorative, as like a criticism of the movie i think john wick is an example of that where it feels like so because sometimes playing a video game it feels like you're just oh you're endlessly just taking out killing thousands of people it there's a repetition to it which when you're playing is fun but in when you're watching a movie is not as interesting um but this in terms of inspire taking inspiration from like the feeling of playing a game or the visuals or like interesting um just uh you know, interesting in, uh, inspiration from things like Uncharted or Grand Theft Auto. I think this is this is the only example where I I would say it as a positive that it reminded me of a, a video game. The only other movie that it reminded me of Grand Theft Auto oddly is is uh, Falling Down with Michael Douglas, but for a totally different reason because that movie is just about a guy who walks through Los Angeles and he just is like I'll I'll shoot someone, I'll threaten people, I'll beat people up. I don't care. Um and it's pretty awesome. Anyway, the closest movie I experienced to Grand Theft Auto was like Ambulance lately. <laughs> I mean like <laughs> Michael Bay's Ambulance. I was like, yeah, that that kind of kind of has the energy. I yeah, kind of want to just put a an agreement with your thought, but I feel slightly different. I feel like it's the most accessible way to experience what gaming can provide like if you just cannot get with a controller you definitely deserve to see the uncharted train sequence um oh yeah and you definitely like deserve to like see have that action moment this movie does that right um 
I just think the Uncharted 2, the way that Uncharted 2 handles the train thing is better, right? And it's because I've seen it before. I mean, I love the mm-hmm. fact that it open the game opens with you dangling from a train, and before it does the two months ago cutaway, uh, you climb to the top of the thing, and there's this massive train car piled in snow, and everything's on fire, and then it cuts to two months ago, and you're like, what is this? Ge- this is crazy. This is a crazy opening, you know? Like... How do, how am I going to end up there, right? How how could it even be that bad, right? So, I mean, I think that's where I'm I think this is probably the first movie where I've had a I've had a moment where I was like it was oh, better God. in the game. And I'm I had that a lot again. this year. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. This I had game. I had the game. Yes. Oh yeah. I had the um I had that same experience with the last of us as well the first or the last episode totally butchering what I think should have been, uh, the last episode, which they do a very dramatic slow motion, um, like conflict, uh, I guess light spoilers for last of us. I mean, if you're this far in the mm-hmm. episode, I mean, you've already had spoilers, but, uh-huh. um, this is going to be a double spoiler, right? Yeah. But the yeah. end of the last of us, the main character, Joel goes and wipes out a bunch of people. Okay. That's a, that's as much as I'll say. Okay. Um, and in the game, it's like hyper brutal violence, almost think, think kind of like John wick, but this is like the moment in the game where you like, you have everything, right? You are the strongest and you're committing the most heinous act of like murdering a bunch of people. Right. So like there, there's like a moral side. You are like in most video games, when you get to the end, you feel awesome for what you're doing, right? You're right. Like, I have the best guns, the best gear. In the game, you're like, I have the best guns, the best gear, and I'm probably doing the wrong thing, right? Which huh. is a great, yeah. great conflict for the player to experience. In the show, it just shows Joel in slow motion murdering a bunch of people, almost like there's this ethereal element. And maybe they're trying to make you feel like this is important, what he's doing. I was like, man... What if they doubled down on the like on the violence? What if it was like ultra violent on that last one? Then you'd really be like, holy smokes. Like, like, you know, Joel, like Mandy moment or whatever, like covered in blood, uh-huh. right? Like then you yeah. would have been like, oh, now I feel what the game made me feel, you know? Huh. So I just huh. think there's there's like I've had a few moments this last year where I, you watch the last fest and I'm like, that didn't really What's weird is that the episode before totally nailed what I felt in the game. And I was like, man, I can't wait to see the finale. And then I watched the end. I'm like, I just think the game was better, right? Mm-hmm. And the creator of the game was literally involved in it too, which made me more frustrated because I was like, mm-hmm. you're right there, dude. Like, fix it, you know? <laughs> you mm-hmm. executive produced this show. Like, fix it. Um, and with this movie, I had that similar emotion. So I wonder how that I'm going to face that uh, moving forward. Um, maybe it's not that interested, interesting to most people that that. No, exactly. It's an interesting question, and I think it also it raises the um, a, you know, just a question about the uh, the different um, things that work in each art form. And I am describing video games as an art form. Uh, sorry to the wow. late Roger Ebert wow. who did not consider them to be. I actually think if Ebert had lived, he probably would have 
he he died before things really like kicked into another gear. And I think if he had seen Red Dead Redemption, there is just stuff that I've like Red Dead Redemption. There's stuff that's as beautiful as any more beautiful even than a lot of recent Westerns I've seen. Um, yeah, but but, you know, with some, I, I haven't seen The Last of Us play the game or seen the show, so I have no real opinion about it. But it, I, I could see if you're the creator of the game and you're making the TV show, you know, there are just some things that work in a, in the context of video games that don't work in movies and sometimes something that's really overt like um uh an act of brutal violence um can have not the intended effect because when you sometimes you watch a movie if you if you address something too directly or too it's the same with like sex scenes. Like sometimes, I mean, there are movies where it works to have an explicit sex scene, but sometimes it, it's better to, you know, you show, you just imply something or you just show a little bit of something and then you cut away. Um, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule for any of this, but with violence also, sometimes going, you do something so graphic, it um, it almost makes the audience like laugh or it's like you, or you don't believe it or it doesn't quite... Right connect in the way you intend i think also with video games since it's animated it has a different there's like a distancing effect so if you if you do something really brutal it doesn't quite it just i don't know in a different I, way. I, that, I don't know exactly how to that is it. no but that is exactly what the last of i mean i i'd say this episode is over we're just going straight into a last of us conversation oh we're just talking about whatever yeah. who, who cares we give our recommendation okay yeah, we're yeah. Gonna just no, this rant, is interesting i'm gonna we're, I'm we're gonna wrap a little bit longer here. yeah 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 the Last of Us, it particularly a- attempts to address that, what you're saying, where it's like you're senselessly killing things. You don't feel anything. But mm-hmm. when you play The Last of Us, you blow a guy's knee out. Then he's mm-hmm. on the ground begging for his life. And mm-hmm. you you see the prompt, which is smash, right? And he's begging. He's like, "What? we can figure this out. And then it just does like this crazy... Like then you like stomp his head in or something, and you're like, I th- I don't feel good, right? And then mm. in the second game, they up the production even more, which I haven't I haven't been able to. I can't play the second game. I, I personally I I have oh, watched like, enough where I'm it's like too upsetting. I think so. No, I wow, mean okay. they they did this whole thing where every combat scenario they've named everyone. Uh-huh. So when someone dies, someone screams out like Ryan. And it just like uh-huh. adds like this other element where you're like, I just, this is gnarly, you know? And that game's theme is revenge, the cost of revenge. So right. they're really doubling down on like the emotion. Right. And you're like, I don't know. I mean, it almost the, sounds like he, Oh, go ahead. The first game is brutal. Uh, the second game, like the, the developers that made it, they had like on-site counseling <laughs> the people wow. that made it yeah Jeez. like it's it's yeah. uh it's, it's pretty intense um and the second game is incredibly controversial as well mm-hmm. um That's people right. people hate that game so i mean there's two reasons why i haven't played it one i just think it it would it's upsetting sometimes i'm like i just can't handle that i don't really want to sure. put myself through that and the other reason is um I'm trying to remove myself from the controversy of the game as well before I right. approach it so I can right. kind of have fresh take on it. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I, again, I, do, I haven't played the game, so it's, it's, uh, 
it sounds very interesting. It sounds a little bit like when um, when filmmakers started making like revisionist westerns, and you would show you would take violence that was used in a pretty black and white or like uh, righteous um, uh, manner, you know, violence that was used for for justified purposes. And then, you know, like when you watch Unforgiven, it's like it's they're on the side, they're on the right side in terms of like capturing these rapists, but it's still like horrible when you watch that right. guy die, you know, right. in the canyon. It's just like awful. Um, so sounds interesting. I don't know if it makes me uh, it makes, with video games. You know, it's interesting about um, again, we're going long, but but it's interesting. I was thinking about video games recently, how it's not that I don't consider it to be a art form. It definitely is. But there are certain art forms that I like take more seriously than others or certain things where I, you know, if I'm reading a book or, or, uh, listening to a piece of music and certainly watching a film, there's a certain profundity I'm opening myself to. But it's like when I'm playing a video game, I think this is just because of my conditioning though. Cause I just never played very many video games. I tend to be thinking I'm just, doing this for my entertainment like i'm just trying to you know it's like it's it's a game it's supposed to be fun and so i i to play a video game where I then it's like you're you're confronted with this kind of unpleasantness uh it is not very appealing to me but on the other hand this is you know maybe a bit hypocritical because i'm sure a lot of people would say the same thing about movie like why would i want to exactly. watch a movie exactly. that makes me feel awful and then uh you know lo and behold uh maybe you do and it's uh it has a positive impact. Um, well, let me let me know. just let me just. Um, this is a full spoiler warning for people that haven't played The Last of Us too. But um, and and I've spoiled the game because that was where the controversy stemmed. Essentially, what happened is before the game came out, someone leaked the entire thing two months before, oh, okay. which ruins it. But I also think it doesn't because it proves how smart the studio that made it is. Gaming provides a medium that can engage its players it i think it's closer to reading than film in a weird way because it forces you to like interact or it forces you to to engage it's almost like watching a, a, a movie in a different language because you have to like uh get involved to make the the stuff progress forward and um the second game the reason that people got so upset uh, is they do this incredible narrative writing where you play as a character who is going after a group of people to enact revenge. And, you know, you kind of have these different set pieces, right? Where there's like boss enemies at the end of each one. So, so let's say uh, this is my understanding, not playing the game, but let's say there's three levels. And at the end of level one, you kill a sniper at the end of level two, you kill um, a buff dude. And at the end of level three, you kill, uh, you know, a little skinny girl and her <laughs> minion with a lightning rod. Right. Um, but it's all mm -hmm. done in this realistic thing. Right. Right. Um, the structure of the game pushes you into this revenge plot where you're just killing, killing, killing. And it's brutal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the game does a 180 inverts the story back to the beginning from the perspective of the people you've been killing for the last two hours, three hours. Right. Oh, are you playing as them? And you play from their perspective and you oh, watch as all of your friends get murdered by you, right? 
because you did that, right? But okay, interesting. And so they, you're playing. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And so that and, and that's kind of like they begin. They do this whole thing where they like you commit these things and you feel justified, but now you have to see the other side of the people, and you find out one of the people you killed was like pregnant. And you're like, oh my goodness, like I didn't even know this stuff. Jeez. And then you already know like their their fate is sealed. You start to like them before you know what's gonna what you did with that character, right? And so you're like, oh geez, like this is and so people just were incredibly upset by the game. I mean, the catalyst for uh the character going on the rampage is tough to deal with because they throw it in your face right at the beginning as well. Um, well, so, so what's the what is the catalyst? Now we're just spoiling, so why not just tell me? Um, it's just, <laughs> I don't I don't want to say because Juliana's in the room next door, so oh, okay. uh, like, and she loved the first season, so I don't want to say anything. Oh, without, okay. without spoiling you. that I that gotcha, side. I gotcha. Um, you can text me later. Yes, yes. Um, but i wonder if hbo is gonna embrace its its game of thrones roots you know because that, that's kind of how the second game goes like it gets oh, uh okay. kind of has the the ned stark energy happening. are we talking about so. like sexual like assault is this what we're alluding no, to? No, oh, no, okay. no 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 i just mean like the way that they're not afraid to like kill off characters that you're like wait oh, that's I like see. a main character you I know see. so i, I got gotcha. you um yeah Anyways, I I think the the Last of Us is is a good te- like is one of those pillars to define it as like an art form. Again, though, like that's a twenty hour experience, right? <laughs> that's hard to approach. You look at Red Dead yeah. Redemption Two. I'm tearing up at the end of the game, uh, basically crying, right? But it no, took really? me wow. forty hours to beat it, right? Yeah, and uh, it has some of the best writing I've experienced in my life. You know, I'm like, yeah, what the heck. Right. So it, it, you can't really tell grandpa, why don't you play Red Dead? When I'm a grandpa, I'll be playing Red Dead 7 or whatever and probably loving it, probably crying. And people are all in their <laughs> microchip brains and yeah, in a whole nother dimension. And I'm just still plugged sitting into there in the, the rest oasis. Home. Yeah, that's right. OK, last question for the show. I know we need to wrap. I need to wrap up. But I've been well, thinking yes. about this. Okay. What did you see? Um, I saw somebody point out online that the apple vision pro reveal shot is stolen from steven spielberg's ready player one it's the identical spinning shot and and they pointed out they're like isn't that i think it was like uh mk or marcus brownlee in his review about it was talking about how it's still that shot he's like isn't that like a little ominous? <laughs> you know, it's like very much so. They're yeah. like straight up just saying, "Yeah, Steven Spielberg's reality." Um, it made me want to watch Ready Player One, Juzo. But are are you ready for Ready? I, Player I would one love. I've been wanting to get a Ready Player One episode. It has to be with all three of us though, because I really want Cameron to see it too. Uh, that movie is of endless interest to me. Um, because I, I wonder, th- I mean, this literally goes hand in hand with, uh, <laughs> with, with the video game conversation. Like, am I going to watch that movie and be like, this is, I've already seen this, you know? I, I don't know. I don't know if the movie is really like a good, I, I, I don't know if, it, if it, it's a better movie if you play video games. It might not be honestly. Cause I feel like I remember Rich Evans 
not really being crazy about, but there's also just reasons not to be crazy about it. Cause it's like stupid. Like it's, it's also just like bad in some ways. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that, um, is in a category with like cry macho or, or like mink where it's in some ways, I think I could really make an argument. It's not good. Um, but I enjoy it very much. Flashdance also was like this where it's like, it's, it's like, it's dumb, but it, I, I, can't deny I have fun watching it every time. I think I've seen it three times. Um, and I don't really know what he's saying or how much. I, th- I think it is in some ways a cautionary tale. It definitely is a cautionary tale. But it's, there's, a, there's an interesting, uh, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a warring perspective within the movie because I think Spielberg is a gamer and he loves the idea of the endless possibility of the virtual world. And I think that's partly why he made the movie. It's not like it's a great script. I think he wanted to do it because he's like, what can I do with my visual gifts as a filmmaker in a world where anything is possible? Um, but I think at the same time, he's also is, is concerned about that. This is not, this is not a, a healthy future. Um, Are you so going to let your kid have a brain chip? No. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't let my kid watch, television i mean i wouldn't give my kid a phone i, mean, I think this stuff is horrible i think it's i think it's 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 made my life worse and it's made the lives of everyone or most people worse i think yeah. it's you know would you give your kid uh, you know crack cocaine it's like no so it's just like I, I think it's it's not dissimilar and um i think there's a propaganda that makes you go oh you're an old person you're oh you're out of touch if you don't if you you know you think it's dangerous or whatever but it's like it is i just think it it it's it's not good um but when you told yeah. me nolan is like disconnected from all of that stuff christopher nolan i'm like oh that was kind of inspiring for me i was like maybe one day i'll be able to escape the matrix nolan nolan had an amazing line he said in an interview where someone asked him about that like why you don't have a cell phone and he said the two reasons are he has an addictive personality. Like he just thinks I would get addicted to this, which I think, you know, it's very easy to do because these things are designed to make you addicted. And the other reason is he said he likes, I think the phrase he used was pockets of time. He likes the pockets of time between him doing things. When I think you'd have a temptation, if you have a device that can do anything that you would look at something or you'd entertain yourself. Whereas he um, having nothing, that's time where he, you know, is waiting for the dentist or he's waiting for a shot to be set up or something. It gives him the chance to sort of just sit with himself and sit and think, which I realize as I've gotten older, I've, I have um, taken for granted and kind of uh, abandoned a lot of those moments Mm. of, of pockets of time that he's talking about because of the ease of, you know, you don't, you sometimes you don't like to sit and think about, yourself or what's going on you would rather i uh, you know i just want to turn on a podcast or something or i want to turn on some music or whatever i mean at least i i would say like when i walk around i go around uh, on the subway or something i generally just listen to music i don't you know i'm not um you know constantly looking at social media i'm not constantly listening to podcasts but still even even not having anything i think is um I don't know. I think it's I think it's a benefit. I don't really see much positive in the other direction, even though it's, you know, it's entertaining and whatever. It's cool. It's not like I'm I'm not like an old person looking at it like I've never 
held a phone. I'm just like, I don't understand this. Yeah, I look at Twitter. I look at all this stuff. You know, I understand the world I'm talking about. And it's um, it's it's quite an ugly one, I think. But, um, you know, we don't need to go on for another hour about that. Grandpa's rage. That's what we're <laughs> turning into here. I, I don't uh, know. What do, you, do you think the same? I, I don't know. I don't know how you I agree. That. I 100% would agree with you. It's oh, going ma- to make me put my phone down. Finally, please. Because if you had kids, I mean, I feel you do feel the same way. You would be a little bit like, "This is concerning." Like you can't, you can't hold it off forever. A kid's gonna get a hold of something, but yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. I I think I'm gonna do. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I have no idea. I like the idea of tracking them, but maybe I'll just put an air tag on their backpack or something. I guess so. I don't really worry. I wouldn't worry so much about tracking, but I guess it's easy for me to say as someone who's so far from having kids, it probably will never happen. But um, <laughs> I never, I never, you know, I, my parents were not big on tracking me. They were not really concerned about me going out or anything, but I don't know. they just knew I was like a square anyway. So <laughs> it wasn't anything to worry about. Um, so I don't know. This has been a great conversation, Isaac. Yes, we've covered no, such a, really good. a plethora of topics. I could talk more about video games. I think there's so much to get into. I I've been really wanting video to games do a let's farm. play with you for the for the Patreon. So if if you're a fan of the show and you got this far, look, we gave you double the length of a show because we missed last week, and you should tell us if you want Juzo to do a let's play. My vote. I, I, if everyone votes no, I will still do it because I would love to do that. I, I that'd be so much fun, especially if I like you know can do it in person with you guys or I know how we do it. But yeah, no, hundred percent. Cameron and I want to play uh, Detroit. Detroit Become Human with you. Okay, um, I don't I think, think I know anything about that game, but it's got a bunch of Hollywood actors in it. Okay, actually, okay, I think cool. cool. Detroit Become Human. Who's in it? Let's see. I don't know. Detroit. I think video games. You know, the art form I would compare it to. Uh, more than movies i think it's actually a lot like food and i think there's there's this aspect of it where it's like you have to no matter what kind of fancy tricks you're doing in terms of your artistic um acumen in terms of in terms of creating a video game it always has to be compelling to the viewer and then the same way like you can do all sorts of stuff with food but it has to taste good you know there's all there's certain tenets that maybe with a movie you don't quite have the same I mean, I guess a movie, it's like you can't be boring. But maybe you can be boring. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I I think that the barrier to entry is what's difficult. Like, the barrier to, like, interact with video games is is where it's hard. And, and when I pl- and the time sink as well. I know yeah. people watch so much TV, though, and I can't do that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jesse Williams is in this game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... Anyways, yes, we could go on forever. Juzo, thank you for recording with us, uh, me, today. And uh, we try to post every Tuesday. I'm going to be better at letting you guys know if something (laughs) gets in the way. Again, thank you for the recommendation. We're going to do another 2023 movie next week as we prepare for the Oscars. I'm sure we'll do some kind of Oscar episode. Maybe. I I don't know the full structure. We got to wait for Cameron to show up with that. But until next week, we appreciate you and keep watching movies. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. 
Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.